Good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Marsha. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's just great to see you guys. I'm glad we had worship this morning. Hard to believe that a week ago we were canceling for an ice storm. So I want to um, start with a little bit different kind of way this morning. How many of you are familiar with the game Outburst? I'm probably dating myself a little bit here. Um, So Outburst is this game where you're given a word and then the team has to kind of shout out things that you would think about with that word. So for example, if I would say Abraham Lincoln, people might say top hat, president, beard, civil war, right? Like those kinds of things. So for those of you who know know, a little bit about the Gospels, we're going to do this for a few minutes here with the disciples. Okay, so I'm going to say a disciple's name and just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, Matthew, tax collector, yes. Um, Judas, betrayer, yep. John, yep, the beloved disciple. Uh, Let's see here, Peter, the rock, yes, the rock. All right, Thomas, the doubter. All right, so Thomas is most commonly identified as a doubter. Now, we don't actually know a lot about Thomas from the Gospels. Actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even talk about Thomas at all other than to list him in the names of the disciples. In John, he shows up in a couple of things in conversations and then in this one story that we're going to talk about today. It says his name is also Didymus. Um, So Thomas is Aramaic for the twin, and then Didymus is the Greek that means the twin. So shout out to Seth and Jared. Imagine how many times in your life have you been called the twins, right? What if your parents actually didn't name you, and forever you were just the twin? So that's what we know about Thomas. He's a twin, and he shows up just a little bit. So as we go to a very familiar story this morning, I want to challenge us today to wonder if maybe there's more going on here than just Thomas being a doubter. And I wonder if maybe we can see ourselves in this story too. So Jim's going to come and read the scripture for us. Pastor, I'm so glad you said Didymus before I had to. (laughs) The Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood up and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tim. So we are currently in the midst of a message series about the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. Of all of the times that he showed up in the 40 days after his resurrection, really only a handful of those are recorded in the Gospels. And so it does us well to maybe consider why. Why were those particular stories ones that the writers felt were worth writing down? What we see in each of these stories is that Jesus is appearing to people and helping them really wrestle through the fact that he actually is alive and just what that means for them. And Jesus is preparing his disciples and his followers to be sent out into the world to share this good news. Now, I asked Jim to start at verse 19 because last week when we had the ice storm, Pastor Josh was actually going to preach on the first part of that, and I think it's helpful for us to have the background of what's going on before we get to Thomas. So what's happening here is that on that first Sunday, that first Easter, Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Now, for some reason, Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us. Was he afraid? Was he grieving maybe so much that he didn't want to be with people? Probably this is, you know, newsflash, Thomas. This is why you don't miss church meetings. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but let's just think for a minute about how the disciples might have been feeling. You know, it's easy for us 2,000 years later to jump from the darkness of Good Friday to the celebration of Easter because we already know the end of the story, Right? But these disciples had just been through an incredibly traumatic experience. For three years, they had walked away from their families and their jobs to follow Jesus. I mean, they were all in here. And they had seen the miracles. They had sat under Jesus' very profound teaching. And they believed he was the Messiah, Their hope was in him. But then he ends up being mocked and beaten and dies this cruel and horrible death. 
So they're still in Jerusalem at this point. It's only been a couple days. I mean, we can imagine they're afraid. They're probably hiding because they're wondering if they too are going to be punished in some way, maybe even killed. And we can imagine that they're thinking, what do we do now? Our leader is gone. And into that, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. And he shows them his arms. Now the Greek word for hands and wrists is the same, so it's translated hands. But as we know, the crucifixion was nails in the wrists. And so he shows them the marks. And the reason he does this is because at that time, there was a lot of belief that you could have kind of spiritual visions of these things or that maybe people would come back in like a ghost-like form. And so he's proving, no, it's, it's me. I'm really here. I'm really alive in the flesh. So the disciples are just completely overjoyed. And they go and find Thomas, wherever he is, and they tell him, we have seen the Lord. Now this is where things get a little bit interesting. Thomas says, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in them and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Why would he not believe them? I mean, think about this. He has spent three years with these guys in a small group. He knows them. He trusts them. And why would they all say the same story? I mean, they're all confirming the same thing, right? as well as the fact that they're overjoyed. So it would be pretty hard to fake a change in emotion from major grieving to we are so happy because Jesus is alive, okay? But I don't know if it's exactly just doubt going on. See, the thing is, Thomas doesn't want to just hear about Jesus' resurrection. He wants to see Jesus, And we get this, right? We can know about Jesus. We can even fully believe the resurrection story. But we don't want to just know it up here. We really want to know in our hearts that he really is alive. That he's really with us. And we have times where it can really be hard. Maybe we can't feel him or see him. And so we start to doubt and we start to wonder. We look around at our world, at all the violence and all the suffering, and we think, God, are you really in control? We're in a dark ICU room listening to the beeps of the monitors, watching our loved one clinging to life, and we say, God, I don't feel your comfort or your peace. Where are you? You know, maybe our employer suddenly says we have to downsize staff. And we wonder, God, are you, are you really going to provide? Sometimes we have an amazingly devastating loss and the grief is so heavy that we think, are you really, God, going to give me the strength to put my feet on the floor tomorrow and go through another day? Right, So we can understand this as humans. We all have times that we just want to see Jesus. That we wonder, is he really alive? 
Is he really with us? And friends, this is not just a journey of faith where, okay, so first you doubt, and then you're convinced, and God shows up, and now you believe forever and ever, amen, right? This is an up and down journey that we have for all of life. Sometimes even the strongest and most seasoned believers struggle. A couple of months ago, I went to visit a woman, um, an older woman, who has been a strong, strong believer for decades. And she had been facing some health challenges, and I went to see her in the hospital. Um, and on the way, I was just praying, you know, God, what, what would you have me share with her today? And he gave me Isaiah 43, the part where it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then this part, you know, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. So I got up to the hospital room, and um, she and her husband were both there. And we just had a lovely visit. I mean, this woman is just spunky, fun, so positive. We were laughing, sharing stories. And I started to kind of question myself. I thought, I don't know, Isaiah 43 just feels really heavy right now. Like we're having a, a really lighthearted conversation and she really seems to be doing fine. Um, but I thought, well, okay, let's just trust that God gave this to me for a reason. And so I shared it with her and I was reading it. And when I looked up from my Bible, she was shaking and crying. And she said, you know, that's, that's actually what I'm wondering right now. Where is God? I can't feel him. Is he here? We all have those moments. There's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. Is Jesus really alive? Is he really here with us? So come back with me now to Thomas's response to the disciples. When he says, unless I see the marks and put my fingers in his hands, I will not believe. Now, the, the way John writes, I will not believe, this is kind of interesting, actually. So in the Greek, there is something called an emphatic negative. And this is how John writes it. So this is not just like, yeah, I'm not going to believe. This is Thomas saying, I will absolutely not, surely not, no way, believe. Okay, really strong statement here. And he makes a condition. So for those of us, you know, when you think back to your English teachers, right, a conditional statement is, if this, then this. So Thomas is saying, unless I see and touch these nail marks, I will absolutely not believe. So I don't think that what's happening here is that Thomas is just that he can't believe. I don't, I mean, it's not even really like, I'm struggling to believe. Thomas is refusing to believe, okay? So when I first saw that in the text, honestly, my gut kind of clenched. Like, uh, Thomas, wow. Are you challenging God? Is this just doubt, or are you actually challenging God right now? And here's what happens. Actually, let me back up a minute to say, so he is challenging God. And I wonder, okay, so 
Has anyone else ever challenged God? And I look in the Bible and I realize, oh, actually several people of faith have challenged God. So we look at Jacob, who was one of the patriarchs. He already knew who God was. God had already made promises to him. But one night in a particularly difficult time, he sleeps and in that kind of night along the riverbank, he wrestles with God. Like it actually says, he wrestles with a man all night long. And he refuses to let go. Now God actually kind of wounds him in that, but he hangs on and he says, I am not letting go until you bless me. Then there's Moses. While they're in the wilderness, there comes a point where he says to God, "Um, unless you are going forward with me, I'm not going forward. Your presence has to go with me. And so God says, okay, yes, I promise my presence will go with you. And then Moses says, now show me your glory. Whoa, now show me your glory, God. And God does. He puts him in the cleft of a rock and says, I will pass by you. You may not look at my face, but you will see me. And then there's David. If you read the Psalms, he's all over the place. So half of the Psalms are like, God, where are you? I need you. Rescue me. Help me. Please, I, I'm, God, I need you to show up right now. And then a whole bunch of other psalms are David thanking God. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for saving me, for helping me. So we have some people who have challenged God. So Thomas challenges him, and here's what happens. Jesus shows up. And look at the grace here. He doesn't come in and say, Thomas, let's have a little talk about your attitude. He doesn't reprimand him. And he also doesn't give him a whole lot of explanation. He doesn't come in and say, let me give you the logical steps of what's going on here so that you can understand this and believe. No, he shows up and he holds out his arms and he says, I'm here. You can touch my arms. You can put your hand in my side. And I think that at this point, this is more than just... Jesus saying, okay, I'm giving you what you asked for. He's showing him the full extent of his love. The marks of his crucifixion. Imagine Jesus saying to Thomas, look at these wounds. Thomas, I hung on that cross because I love you. And I want to be in relationship with you. That's why I did it, so that a holy God can be with his people. Stop doubting and believe. Friends, this is not just Thomas's story. It's our story too. We have a God that loves us so much that he comes to us. Pastor John's been teaching us some really helpful imagery with this. That we are all on a journey here in life asking pretty much the same fundamental questions. What's going on here? 
and we feel as if we're maybe in a fog sometimes, and we hear a lot of different voices kind of calling to us, telling us, you know, come this way or do this thing. And we just feel like, man, we just need help. And the difference in the Christian faith is that we believe that it's not our job to figure out how to get out of that fog, but that Jesus comes into the fog and says, I'm with you, I'm here, and I will show you the way. One of the central promises of the Bible that you read over and over and again is, I will be with you. God reminds us of that over and over. So what do we do with the times that we wonder that we can't feel him? Well, let's give ourselves a little grace because God does. In this text, Jesus says to Thomas, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think that's a word of grace for us today. We don't have the opportunity to see Jesus humanly in the flesh like they did. And he knows that. God knows that we can't physically touch him right now. So I think there's some grace there. And also, he can handle our questions and our doubts. Truly, when you read the Psalms, I mean, that is scriptural. It is a lot of crying out to God and asking, I don't understand, where are you, what are you doing? God can handle it. And Jesus himself knows this feeling. When he hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to be in pain and darkness and wonder where God is. But let's also live with a little bit of Thomas's boldness. Let's wrestle. Let's challenge. Let's ask. And God does promise that he will respond. Now, let me be clear. This is not name it, claim it theology. This is not, hey God, unless you get me a new house, I won't believe in you. Um, This isn't about getting what we want. But it is about trusting that when we want and need to see Jesus, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, to know that God is with us, that he will show up. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus himself said these words in Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. A friend recently shared with me about a time that he wrestled with God. He was trying to make a decision about something and was just really conflicted and really did not know what to do. And so he basically said to God, I am going to fast until I hear a word from you. So for three days, he had nothing but water to drink. And he prayed and he cried out to God, I just need a word. 
And at the end of the third day, weak and exhausted, the word came. The word was actually no. It wasn't the word he was actually expecting to hear. But he was filled with complete peace. I had an interesting experience just two weeks ago. I had been talking with a friend. It had been a rough couple of days, and I was just sharing about some of the just struggles and some of the emotions involved in that. And, and I said, you know, I don't expect God to take all the pain away or to tell me exactly what to do. But I just really wish I could hear God say, I still love you. One hour later, I went to get my mail and I found just a very simple handwritten note that said, Marsha, our family devotion project for the day is to write a note to a Christian friend to remind them of their identity in Christ. So hear the words God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over you in Christ. You are my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. We have such an amazing God. Now, I want to end by going back to the story of Thomas one more time. When Jesus shows up and offers for him to see and touch him, there's actually no indication in the text that Thomas does. Instead, Thomas just instantly responds in worship, my Lord and my God. He doesn't say the Lord. He says, my Lord. And it's interesting here for him to say, my God. This is actually the first time in the entire four Gospels that Jesus is proclaimed fully by a human as God. The highest proclamation of faith in the Gospels. So Thomas was a doubter. Thomas was a challenger, but Thomas also worshiped God. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. God, you are so good to us. You say that when we seek you, we will find you, when we seek you with all our hearts. And so, God, we thank you for the times that you make yourself known, especially in the times when we need it most. God, we know that there's grace in our doubting, and yet we thank you that you continue to show up in those doubts. And God, we just pray that we would be a people that would respond in worship. We love you, Lord. Amen.